Hi guys, my name is Sufal. I'm Marvin. And welcome to TMA. Today we have a special guest on. She was our Science 2C00 teacher. Uh, her name is? Catherine Stewart. Yeah, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the show. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, today we just kind of wanted to talk about you because I remember you introduced yourself during our classes and I was just like super interested. I'm like, wow, this is such a cool story. So just to start off, I, like, is there anything you want to say to introduce yourself? Like if you were to describe yourself in a few sentences, how would you describe yourself? Wow. <laughs> Tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm a career development and relationship manager in the science career and co-op education office here at McMaster University. Um, I've been here for about a year and a bit. This is a completely new iteration of my professional self. Uh, I have found unexpected and weird joy in this in this position. Um, I've been many other things. Uh, I'm the a, a living proof that career development is not linear in any respect at all. And that, you know, we're some of our experiences and you take them as they come and you go along for the ride sometimes. Yeah, that sounds great. So you just mentioned you uh, help students with co-op. So I know a lot of people that listen to the show are actually students. Do you have any advice for people who are entering co-op? Or like a biggest yeah. piece of advice in general for students? Mm -hmm. I would say that, aside from the application process itself, um, which is pretty straightforward, it's almost like a job interview, but I would say what students really need to know is that to take on the co-op role is, is almost like another course. So be prepared that it's going to take time and to be able to carve out that time in your semester. It's going to be tough that first semester when you're looking for work at the same time that, you're, that you've got five classes. And, and the, the co-op staff is very helpful, but we can only help so much. If students aren't applying for jobs, you know, where do you go with that, right? Oh, wow. All right. So uh, just be prepared. Be prepared for the work is what I would. Okay. Oh, wait, so I had a question that's kind of off tangent. Mm -hmm. But you said you've only been working at the SCCE for the past year. I'm curious because I want to delve into healthcare communication a little bit. I know we've talked about it on our one-on-one -on -one conversations in the past. But I'm curious, how did you, like, what got you interested in working at McMaster in the first place, all the way from healthcare communication? Mm -hmm. Well, I actually had one of my very first professional jobs after I graduated in, with my Bachelor of Science um, at McMaster. So that's where oh. I started. And, and I, I really, at that time, I spent 17 years here in uh, research capacities in health sciences and uh, really enjoyed my time here, learned a lot knew that it was time to move on. And uh, this opportunity came up and it kind of evolved out of my uh, work with healthcare communication because I really realized that I enjoyed the mentorship and the coaching and facilitation. And I just thought, I want to see if I could be good at that. So that's what brought me here. And, and Mac, I love Mac. Yeah, I love Mac students. I mean, <laughs> Mac students are, are so different. They're, there's, there's a maturity and a groundedness and a diversity that I don't see on other campuses. Oh, wow. Yeah, thank I, you for coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, I remember in class you had mentioned that you didn't essentially start doing science. You ended up doing theater, I believe. Oh, Sheridan. Sheridan, Sheridan? yeah. Yep. So if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a little bit about your schooling history? Like, how, like what did you go through and how did mm -hmm. you end up doing it? Yeah. So um, my parents, neither of them, although we're both smart people, didn't go past grade eight. So I didn't really have that role modeling of what do you do? And in my day, a long time ago, <laughs> back, in um, back in the day, I mean, we would have to go to the library to look at uh, university calendars, that kind of things. 
um, to to even see what was out there. Um, my two older brothers both went into science. Um, one was accepted to go to medical school at Dow, but didn't ended up not going. Um, so that was kind of the the pattern that was set up for me. It was expected that we would go to university, um, but I think for me, um, in high school, I won the award for top prize in music, but I also won the top prize for AP Bio. Oh, okay. So, so what do you do with that? And the thing is, I think I got the most, um, the accolades attention, if you will, from my work in theater. And so I chose to go down that path. But I will say that the thing that I say to students now is think about what kind of life that profession brings before you walk that pathway. Mm -hmm. Because if I had given even you know, uh, <laughs> a, 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 you know, a few minutes thought about what that life could potentially be, I would realize that that was not me at all. And, and yet I chose to pursue that. It seemed exciting. I wanted to do it. And, um, and actually my first year, I, I, because I was sort of in an interim period, I, I ended up studying at UPEI classical music. And I knew that was definitely not for me. Um, so then I went into the music theater program at Sheridan and completed that. And about probably a year or two after having moved 10 times, different cities, wow. uh, different small theaters, that kind of thing, to keep yourself active, I realized for me that stability home and a base of operation and building your life was way more important than I ever knew it was. And I realized that I don't think I would ever get that in a theater career. That and the fact that it's just so stressful that you're always trying to prove yourself over and over again. There's never a comfort level. And, and I just didn't really appreciate or like that stress. So, um, so I got my student loans paid off <laughs> from Sheridan and um, worked as a bartender at the, oh. at the Connaught Hotel in Hamilton oh, wow. for a bit and then decided to go to University of Guelph. So that's where I went into, um, I did my bachelor's in honors human biology, which is kind of like a life sciences mm -hmm. degree, if you will. I would say that's as close as you can get. So that's what brought me there. I mean, science was my second love. And I always knew that I kind of maybe even when I went into theater, I knew that eventually I would turn a corner and come back to something slightly more academic. Oh, wow. Yeah, that yeah. was definitely not a linear path like you yeah. were talking about. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, you were really into music as well, right? Yeah, I was uh, from a young age. My parents actually put me into singing and the harmonium. It's like a oh. South Indian uh, singing. And then even when I went into high school, I played the violin. I did choir. I was helping out in music all the time. It was kind of like my extracurriculars were all music. But then when it came to like deciding a university, it never, I never really thought of it as an option. Because I knew I didn't want to be like, you know, moving from place to place, joining orchestra, stuff like that. Like, I really wanted to, like, you know, settle down in one place and learn what I'm doing. And science always was interesting to me, too. But a connection that I found in between music and science was um, the fact that I want to be an audiologist. Right. So, yeah, it's like <laughs> tech for the ear. And I really love, like, the science of the ear, listening, which also includes music. So that's kind of why I went into life sciences here at McMaster. Yeah. yeah. And who encouraged you to reflect on that? I honestly don't remember. She's asking yeah. you the questions now. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just yeah. curious. I'm curious. Yeah, I, 
for because me, I had that lack because my parents just said, go do what you need to do. But they didn't have the experience. Yeah, I was very close to my music teacher, my choir teacher, actually. And when I was talking to her because she teaches music at school, I'm like, why didn't you, you know, join like a choir or sing profession? And she was like, you know, I kind of wanted to settle down. Like I have I had a husband, a boyfriend at that time and I want to stick with him, but I can't be moving around if I'm with him. So I was kind of like, oh, snap, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of students still like I don't I think you give a statistic in class, but I think it was some number. A lot of students end up changing their major at some point during their four years. And like even me, like right now, although I'm in biochemistry, I don't know if that's the degree I want to end up with at two or three years from now. Right. Um, I think you were also looking at what biopharm, um, molecular biology and genetics. Like these were other things we're interested in. So I think it's just like, yeah, your, your career path is never linear. Like it's so hard to predict. So I guess, yeah, just be open to anything. So you've kind of delved into like the music field at, like earlier in your career, and then now you're in science completely, and I guess healthcare communications. Um, so are there any fields that you haven't explored that you would potentially look into in the future? Well, when I left Mac the first time, um, I was actually, I had applied to do my Bachelor of Education because I had been involved with two different teaching programs in the school board in Guelph and scientists in the school and a program uh, called Artimage. Um, anyway, and as a parent volunteer, I started doing that and then I realized, I know what I've just missed here. <laughs> yeah. I've missed what I should be doing all along. And so um, I was accepted at Brock and at the same time, I got this job offer from the College of Family Physicians of Canada um, to head up their their um, the Institute for Healthcare Communication Canada at the time, and and so I deferred my because it was a one year contract. I deferred my acceptance to Brock mm-hmm. um, just to try that out, and um, but then I ended up staying and I deferred the second time. Yeah. Um, I'm currently looking into uh, doing my master's of education and oh, I wow. think I will start that in the fall. Um, I'm really interested in, in curriculum development and uh, adult learning specifically. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I mean, you always know, I, I always just embrace learning and you always know when I need to know more about this. Mm. And so uh, it always seems like a good time to start something new in the fall. So. That's what I plan to do. Student for life. Yeah, I love the the student for life attitude. A lot of people, you know, they go into university, they're like, oh, I just want to finish, get a job, that's it, no more learning. I love the fact that you, like, you want to continue learning, like, you're looking forward to the master's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we actually, we had a quote about that, too. Like, part-time, was it? Uh, Part-time student, full-time me or something? Yeah, something like that. Or, like, something about that? Yeah, on the basis that, like, you're only a student part of the time, you should be focusing on yourself. But, yeah, I guess you can always learn something, Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh, but curious about, so... I think well, you, told, you told us about LinkedIn, and I did look you up on LinkedIn, and I think you worked at you're part of the IHC as you talked about the College of Family Physicians of Canada. Yeah. Um, I was just curious, what are the sort of skills you would need to work in the position that you were in, like at both places? Mm-hmm. So, um, the work at the College of Family Physicians of Canada was to essentially spearhead the rebirth of the Institute for Healthcare Communication in Canada. In the, in the old days in its development, um, the Institute, whose home is in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, home of Yale, which is really kind of cool, um, Bayer Pharmaceutical had funded it all. So they developed all of these train-the-trainer modules in healthcare communication, and so they disseminated, disseminated these programs all across North America. But the thing is then Bayer pulled its funding. So there was really no infrastructure here in Canada at all. So 
the College of Family Physicians of Canada hired me in the in the continuing professional development department really at more as a project manager. That's kind of what they what they hired me for. I was to reconnect with the people who had been trained in Canada, see what are they doing now? Do they st- are they still interested in the programming? How can we bring people together? How can we introduce new programming? We had some seed funding from Cancer Care Ontario and uh, Canadian Cancer Society, and um, and then uh, w- the college gave us a home, which was fantastic. Um, so. Really, I was just brought on board to to address the, the renaissance of, of the Institute in Canada. Uh, there was no intention whatsoever that the work would go beyond that because they didn't even know if I was the right person to do that. Um, and yet, because and, I knew nothing about healthcare communication, nothing, and very quickly became passionate about it when I saw the depth of uh, of impact that conversations have. And, and you can extrapolate it to anything, any conversation that you have, um, whether it's with, you know, your son or daughter or, or with the grocery clerk, there's mm-hmm. the words we use are really, really important. And I didn't actually know that before. So it was a real discovery process. And I met people who have influenced me in ways that I can't even describe, uh, through my work with the Institute for Healthcare Communication. Um, so I, I was really, really privileged to be a part of that, um, th- that rebirth and, and really took over. And, and so um, <laughs> it, it's hard to, um, to describe um, the transition, but at, we had a new CEO at the college. And then what ended up happening was they, they as a new CEO will do, they, um, they wanted to really assess what, what are we doing? How are we doing it? Are we meeting our members? And the College of Family Physicians is a membership organization. So if you aren't meeting um, the some membership need, then they probably don't want to be supporting that. Well, in fact, as much as I'd love to boast better figures, the people who were attending our workshops were less than 7% of them were physicians. Oh. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. when you get right down to it, the thing is when Bear supported it, they were funded. Not only were they funded, they were paid to attend. So I see the yes, they were paid to attend these things. It was just so different. And now I'm asking people to actually pay out of pocket to take these kinds of trainings. So it really wasn't the individuals who were paying. It was healthcare organizations. I dealt with all 14 LINs across Ontario. Um, introducing a number of different curricula to them over time. But anyway, um, what ended up happening was they decided that um, they did not want to support the program any longer. So the main institute office offered me a director position to take on a larger portfolio across North America. Um, And um, I mean, the thing is that was transformative for me in this whole work is that I was really the business person. I was really the managing director of what was happening but it was really all about relationship development and I and again that was like such an aha moment for me that you can't do anything without building relationships with people yeah and and just reaching out to people I know people I don't know um you know they could sometimes it was the CEOs of of healthcare authorities and sometimes it was the the, you know the admin assistant it's just everybody across the board it it just um uh, it was just such an interesting exercise in relationship building, and and I and I, and that's what I 
the big thing that I took from it was was just how important that is, and it's key. It doesn't matter what kind of conversation you mm-hmm. have. If you don't have a relationship or a rapport with some somebody, chances are you're not going to get something done, yeah. and, and it's as simple as that. So yeah. I know you emphasize like Yeah, the, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, you emphasize connection so much back uh, in. Exactly. Yeah. Look at us networking right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I personally found myself like up until university, I was very like lone wolfish. Yes. Like, I wouldn't communicate with people. I just get my own thing done. Same. And then I learned like, oh, like everything you do, like if you have somebody you know in it or you know you have a good connection with somebody, it will give you multiple advantages and it even makes them listen more to what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I think we made a small mistake. I, okay, I don't. I didn't know healthcare communication existed until just talking to you. Yeah. So for any listeners out there who don't know what it is, do you mind explaining what the field of healthcare communication is all about? Mm-hmm. Sure. Initially, um, the institute evolved their programming to address a growing body of literature that said that healthcare was not just about find it and fix it. You know, what's wrong with you? Okay, I'll treat you. That was it. That in that context, there was a much, much broader relationship that was happening. And and if you didn't have a relationship with the patient, and that's established through communication and rapport, that often the healthcare outcomes were affected. Maybe that patient didn't come back for their appointment. Maybe they didn't feel comfortable asking questions about the meds. Maybe they took them incorrectly. So it's all about the comfort and the experience that the patient's having. And it's up to the not just the clinicians, but it's up to the whole staff, volunteers, clerks, clinical staff in a healthcare organization to provide and support the experience that that patient has. It all mm-hmm. has an influence on the care that they received. And if you talk to the CMPA, the Canadian Medical Protective Association, I think their stat is that 85% of litigation um, that comes against clinicians in Canada is not due to any lack of good care. In fact, the care is usually standard of practice. It's all about the relationship. I felt disrespected. I wasn't listened to. And, And honestly, when you see the impacts of this, and it's not, as I said, it's not just clinical stuff. We do have... We do have programming in a lot of different areas. Um, in fact, the Institute offers about 15 different programs. So there starts with the basics, you know, communication 101 um, goes into different things like um, uh, motivating, you know, so there's a whole course on motivating behavior, a whole course on um, uh, emergency clinicians, because those emergency clinicians, they're treating strangers. They don't know anything. And so, the, again, the relationship's very different, and the way you build rapport is very different. Um, of course, there's the difficult conversations about death and dying yeah. and t- turning over to palliative care. When people think of healthcare communication, a lot of people think about hard conversations, but it's not always about the hard conversations. Yes, that's important to do that right, but it's the day-to-day the 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 process that that you have with people and the interaction that you have um, is is so important just for day to day good care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I feel like healthcare communication. I think I've talked to you about this before, but it's like a lot of people are focused on possibly going to a career in healthcare. But I feel like healthcare communication is this like unspoken side of healthcare, right? Yeah, you don't really hear about it. Yeah. Like I honestly didn't know it was something that was a whole field until I met you. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I was in the hospital earlier this year. It wasn't like, it wasn't these sort of care in terms of medication, I remember. It's like the nurses who I remember caring for me or my physician, how often they would come and check on me and making sure that like my parents were informed about the whole situation, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I remember 
I, I honestly, I love my hospital, Scarborough Hospital, <laughs> Birchmount Campus <laughs> so much. Like hospital. I went back to visit my, the nurses there, right? Because I love their care so much. And that was what made me, I feel like it helped me in my recovery. Yeah. So, you, you, yeah. And see, so you appreciate that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's... That's that's amazing, and then so now you will view any other care that you get in the future by that standard. Yes. And and the last program that we developed, and I have to say that I was a um, major part of the development of this program, was about um, bias and judgment, and I really loved that particular program, deep uh, diving into the liter- literature around that because if we have bias and judgment about someone who's in front of us. Um, we may not give them the care that they need. We, mm. um, and so this particular module was really about people who may be marginalized in some way. So people who don't have permanent housing, um, people who are, you know, drug seekers, um, uh, people who smoke while they're pregnant, uh, have uh, tattoos, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, LGBTQ. And I mean, we all have biases. And, and yet we ha- need to be able to recognize that and mitigate those biases when it comes to caring for the person that's in front of us. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was that was really transformational for me to developing that particular course. So this is a little bit um, more off topic, a little yeah. bit more controversial, yeah. if I say so myself. Um, so recently, um, I don't know when it started, but uh, of course, I'm sure you heard of like the anti-vax movement. Do mm. you believe this is kind of like something that came from a lack of healthcare communication? Or do you have any thoughts on it in general? Hmm. Well, I believe we're very influenced by the power of celebrity. Definitely, yeah. Um, and much more so. We used to be influenced by people of character, but now we're in- influenced more by people of notoriety that may mm-hmm. have little or no background or skill um, to be speaking on certain topics. Yeah. I think it really started with the influence of, of that celebrity population. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know how you undo that now you know how do you pull that back i i mean i'm i'm a person of science so uh so really everything that i've read or heard of is is definitely pro-vaccine yeah i mean absolutely I so agree with that. Yeah. yeah i i just think that we're just being unnecessarily influenced by yeah. by sources that aren't credible yeah no definitely if like a celebrity says something nowadays like people take it a little too seriously Mm -hmm. even though they don't have credentials to be saying twitter oh god oh god yeah that's just a rabbit hole (laughs) yeah we don't we don't touch that yeah yeah well we all become experts right it used to be that your physician your healthcare team were the experts but now anybody can go to your computer and read everything so now we all feel we're a little bit experienced with many many topics that maybe we don't deserve yeah to feel we're more so we're reading other people's experiences and just saying it as our own exactly also, i yeah. feel like misinformation can be spread easier because like oh, let's yeah. say i have an idea i can probably find a community that thinks the same way mm-hmm. with it may not be based off anything scientific but if other people are thinking what i'm thinking you have that what was it called it's like group group think group think yeah. yeah that all comes together and yeah i feel like misinformation spread much easier because of that yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, one thing me and Marvin push a lot, um, or whenever like younger people ask us for advice, we always tell them that uh, people who are in science they should attempt to join more clubs yes. and you know have extracurriculars that are outside of science. A lot of people come to university and be like, oh, all I can do is like healthcare or science. Yeah, only come, medical clubs. Yeah, exactly. Right? So they join just <laughs> medical clubs and they'll do nothing else. Like hobbies yeah. they may have in the past, just you know yeah. thrown out. So um, how do you feel on the matter? Do you think science students should be doing other things or? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I know the pressures are there to develop an experience profile, if you will, for professional schools, sometimes for graduate schools. There's that pressure to be a whole lot of stuff. And yes, it's important, because I think it's important to your maturity and your development and your experiences. But, But what those experiences are, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. I will have a student come to me and say, oh my God, I have no research experience. I'm never gonna get into med school. And I say, well, tell me what your experiences are. So students, some students have to work full time. You know, they have to pay the bills and, and they have to, to, to go to work every day because they wanna to go to university. Some people have, have illness issues, uh, family commitments. Others are are varsity athletes or competitive dancers <laughs> or, um, you know, but but the thing is, is it doesn't really matter what your experiences are. I mean, you should do what you think enhances your mm-hmm. life, enhances and supports your learning, is interesting to you. I wouldn't do it with a view of this is where I'm going and I need to only have things that mm. are... Don't limit yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is that you can extract value from any experience. Tell me what your experience is and I will help you pull some uh, value out of that. If you look at the model, for instance, just in terms of, uh, of a physician, so it's not just clinical competency. It's their collaborators, their educators, their leaders, their managers, their scholars, their advocates. They're all of those things. But those are all things that you can extract value out of whatever it is you do. So you do you is what I I say, it doesn't really matter what you do, what your experiences are. It's what value have you pulled out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and then you can apply and make the case for that next step in your professional career. I mean, that's how I see it. Yeah, no. I mean, I think when early this, this past summer, when we were doing, you were doing my resume critique, I remember the main thing I kept thinking was like, okay, I told you I wanted to get into research. But I looked at my resume and I didn't see anything that applied, right? But I think, yeah, you really helped me extract value out of those things. Like, how do I word things? How do I, how do I get that sort of, how, how would you say this to your fault? Like, let's, let's say, for example, my science animations, right? Yeah. That's not necessarily something a researcher would be like, okay, that's primary experience. Yeah. But at the same time, it's something that I can say, okay, well, I've gone through literature before. I've tried to summarize it. I presented it, right? So just doing things like that, Catherine has it's definitely like the, helped It's me like a the lot. base skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was the first thing that I noticed on your resume? Oh, God. What did it, what? What? I she don't remembers remember. You don't? It was about your break dancing. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, <laughs> okay, yes, I was sitting in like, the lobby sort of area. Uh, yeah. You came out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just yeah. because I I'm, I like dancing and I, I really appreciate dance mm. in any capacity. And so that was my conversation starter with you was I was intrigued by that particular part of your resume. Oh, speaking of, I guess, our extracurriculars, uh, we, we know you in the capacity of in terms of your science, your our, what, Tuku, Tuku. <laughs> Tuku teacher. Um, but is there anything outside of your day-to-day nine-to-five job that you have an interest in? Huh. Well, I... <laughs> Not healthcare I, communication. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I definitely do still contribute to, um, to a lot of the modules and development of curriculum in that respect. Um, I also teach... Uh, oh, right. You yeah, told us. I teach yes. online um, to students in China and mm. in the evenings. I used to do it in the mornings. And I have to admit, um, yeah, but then when I came back to commuting, I had to give up my mornings. But the mornings were um, very, it was either one-on-one or it was one-on with four students. Mm-hmm. 
um, which I really enjoyed. The um, the evening classes are big classes, though, and mm. I'm finding it a little frustrating. But anyway, so that's something I do in my spare time. I do. <laughs> I, I mean, I like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. I just don't have as okay. much time as yeah. I as yeah. I usually do for it. I love Zumba. I love dance. Oh, you know, oh yeah, yeah. And anything to do with those sorts of things. And I don't know, just active. Active. I just like to be active. That's all. Wow, that's a good. Still very yeah. involved, giving back. Wow, exercise. So, um, in the twenty first century, something that is pushed a lot in universities, healthcare, and everywhere is like the a lack of understanding of uh, mental health, and essentially how people don't really care about it. Like even my parents, mental health wasn't really a thing. Mm. Like if somebody like there were signs of depression that they may have seen in other people, but they kind of chalked it up to oh they're being lazy or oh they're sad, you know, whatever it may be. So um, do you think that like large organizations like universities are doing enough for the topic, or if you do, you even think that maybe they're doing too much, maybe they're putting too much emphasis? Like what's your opinion on the whole situation? <laughs> that that that's I, I was hoping you actually wouldn't ask me that question. That's yeah, a tough uh, one. Yeah. yeah. Um it it's a it's it's a really fine balance of knowing what to do with those sorts of things. Is it resilience, lack of resilience, is it ability to cope? not being able to cope is it having supports not having supports is it a combination of all of those things um i i yeah i believe in the old days that that we sucked it up it was sort of like yeah um it's it's happening but i just have to get through this because i have got commitments and that's my work ethic and i will just persevere um but who's to say that that just wasn't a severe enough case to be actually treated and, and thought of as as clinically important. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I that I would go back to that we talked about before is you know me going to the library looking at course calendars of universities. Mm-hmm. Well, so my information was limited. Yeah. Now there is no limit on yeah. the information that's out there. And I think many students, many people arguably are overwhelmed by I don't know where to start there's everything out there I can access it and so for some of us when we're feeling overwhelmed I think we shut down and we become paralyzed with indecision Um, and 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 that's why with students if I see if I recognize that I try to get them to really focus and just shut out the noise shut out what everybody else is telling you I've got this done I've got this done I'm doing Mm -hmm. this and making you feel like what you're doing is not enough Um, and I know that's hard it's it's easy just to say it but I know it's difficult but I I I mean, I think that's a big contributor is information, access to information. Yeah. We know there's so many things happening around us, and yet I, don't, I can't get there. I can't do that. You know, and then the fear of missing out. And I think that all contributes to us feeling inadequate. And I'm not to say, and I mean, I, I fully appreciate that, that most mental health things are, you know, chemical imbalances and real physic, they are physically manifested in our bodies yeah. and can be treated. Um, I, I just think it needs to be a case-by-case basis. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's I very agree. individual. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on, I mean, I think we all need to be kind to everybody and try to work through what they need to work through and get people resources. Um, my own daughter has struggled 
with with many many mental health issues and and that's really hard for me I especially as a parent when you really can't help somebody through yeah. it and I can't even though I think I have pretty decent resources and pretty decent uh, communication skills you just can't do that for someone mm-hmm. who is is in the middle of something like yeah, that you sure. just you just can't help them you know um the best you can do is to try to find someone who has the expertise to help them. Yeah. You know, and I've dealt with a few students. I, I, I can see it right away. I've had a, I've taken a few students to student wellness because I think, okay, let's stop talking about graduate school and, you know, and I, there's, there's something more happening here. Yeah. I don't have the capacity to really help you with this, but I do know people who do. So it's, it's really all about the resources. And, and being aware of them and making sure people get what they need. Yeah. But the one thing, when I think about this whole change with this late withdrawal thing, for instance, I have to say, a part of me thinks, wow. I mean, we used to have, this is the deadline for dropping yeah. the course. Now there is no deadline. Mm-hmm. So I have to admit, I mean, I see why they're doing it. They don't want to add undue stress mm-hmm. onto students. And that's one way where they can relax the system. And yet... How much do we relax our systems in order to accommodate? I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. Because cause I, I'm a rule follower by nature. Oh, I am totally a rule follower. And, yeah. and so, you know, because I, I need it for organizi- organizing my own thoughts and ideas and my own work and, and having structure. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure. I don't know how many... I mean, the thing is we don't support financially the kind of care that could be most effective for people yeah. who need that help so we don't support psychologists and social workers mm-hmm. so if people want to go to those practices to access them they're paying out of pocket yep. and that's that's hard i mean i could barely do it let alone a student mm-hmm. do that so so yeah where are we sending them i mean i i know um you know when seeking you know help help for say family matters um you know, you talk with the Canadian Mental Health Association. They'll tell you it's a two-year waiting oh, wow. waiting That's list crazy. to get some help. Yeah. You know, it's just not that easy. And But what if somebody needs help right at that very moment? You yeah. know? I mean, I know we have primary care physicians and and primary care clinicians, and that's where you should start, in my, in my opinion, and let the clinician decide where best to refer. But if it's if you need help today... And you even have to wait till tomorrow. That's too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I feel like yeah, our system definitely isn't perfect. But I'm also I also have some faith that we are trying to do the right thing. That we are trying to yeah, yeah, you, know, you know, we're I believe humans are intrinsically good, and that we are you know definitely trying to help each other. Um, and you talked about the student wellness center. I I would say that there's some stigma around mental health as well. Like I just want to tell anyone anyone who goes to McMaster definitely go to the student wellness center, uh, basement of Musk, I believe. Um, yeah, and I, I've been there a few times as well for different things. No, actually, it's moved. It's in the Peter George oh, really? Center for Living and Learning now, second since floor, uh, since uh, October. Oh, oh wow, yeah. that is okay. Yeah, never mind, guys. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just Google McMaster yeah. Student Wellness yeah. Center. It's a little hard to find. Not yeah. every stairwell will take you there. Oh. I, I went over there the other day, yeah, just yeah. to okay. see where it was. Well, definitely talk to someone if you need to, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and go, mm-hmm. go take to, advantage of professional yeah. counseling. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, w- how we're directed that if we bring a student there, 
um, they will see them. And I have to say that that has worked every every time mm-hmm. I've done that. Not that I've done it that often, but they will. And you you just if a staff member brings a student there, they will find someone to see them right away. Yeah. So yes, definitely use your resources. So um, that's pretty much all we have for you today, Catherine. We wanted to thank you again so much for coming, taking time out of your day early this morning. Yeah. 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 Uh, Snowy day, yes. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's fun to have a conversation outside of uh, the context of daily routines. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So do you have any social media or anything you'd like to shout out on the podcast? Is there anything you'd want people to follow you on? Yeah, if anyone has any questions, where can they ask you, I guess? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm in Burke Science, room 127. Yeah. There you go, um, We have drop-in hours every day for a couple of hours. And you can also yeah. make appointments with us on Oscar Plus for longer conversations. And that also lets you disclose to us what you want to talk about mm, or share documents ahead of time so that we can prepare as best we can. Um, it's a great team there, um, the Science Career and Co-op Education office there are an amazing team of people who really want student success and want to support it Mm. also the student success center i mean use your resources we're there to help and sometimes i'm i'm so surprised by how surprised students are that that we could do this for them so i'm happy to do it and and have to say working one-on-one with with students is uh it's been really an unexpected um I have to say joy. Oh, I mean, I, I really I really enjoy the conversations that I have with students every day. So mm. anyway, thanks for having me. It was yeah. uh, it was great to meet you both. I appreciate great. your time. So for our listeners, again, if you guys want to be on our show, feel free to DM us on Instagram or email us at tellmeaboutofficial at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening and uh, goodbye. Yeah, we'll see you on another episode. All right. Bye.